March 14, 1986, New York. The NFL is playing defense against some of the sharpest legal minds money can buy. A stern-faced lawyer makes his case to the jury. Ladies and gentlemen, the NFL has dedicated itself to destroying an upstart league. It's wrong, it's sinister, but mostly it's un-American. We are a nation of competitors. He argues the USFL is but a small league up against a giant evil Death Star. It's a compelling narrative. Only this isn't the actual trial. The man's a pretend lawyer in a mock trial. His team is prepping NFL executives for their real day in court. The upcoming heavyweight championship fight against the USFL. The conference room is filled with anxious NFL owners and officials. One might think the mighty NFL is confident, what with its long reign as an American corporate giant. But it's not. Inside the pretend courtroom with the pretend judge and the pretend jury, the NFL's attorneys bring everything they've got. The league's new lead attorney, Frank Rothman, is a quick-witted legal operator who measures every word. He argues the NFL would never dare undercut a rival league. The jury retreats to a side room to deliberate. Moments later, they reemerge, eyes downcast. The foreman stands up. <clears throat> we, the jury, find the National Football League guilty. I'm sorry, guys, but, but we do. And it wasn't a hard decision. If this is the way you're presenting this case, I, I'm sorry, but we won't win. The room turns glum. It was not supposed to go this way. This case seemed so easy. Philadelphia Eagles owner Norman Brayman looks toward NFL Commissioner Pete Rozelle. Pete, clearly this isn't going to work. I think I speak for everyone here when I say we need to reach a settlement with the USFL as quickly as possible. Uh, I, I don't know, Norm. I, I mean... Another NFL lawyer, Paul Tagliabue, interjects. Tagliabue is tall, dark-haired, and handsome, and commands respect. Listen, the USFL's case is a sham. They're a desperate league, and we've all seen this Trump guy on TV. He's the con man trying to swindle you out of your money on a street corner. He wants to get in on this league. You all know that. It's all a game to him. And for us to act like scared children? Well, I can't agree with that. So what should we do? Well, if we settle now, every time a new league comes along, we'll be sued. Time after time. With the new leagues following the USFL playbook to a T. You sure about this? We need to fight with everything we have. To settle would be to lose. And the NFL does not lose. What follows? is unexpected. A standing ovation. Every man in the room is on his feet and applauding. The NFL will not back down. This episode is brought to you by Decoy, an acclaimed winery in the Duckhorn portfolio. Make the holidays memorable when you give the gift of wine country with Decoy Wines. Established more than 30 years ago by legendary vintners Dan and Margaret Duckhorn, they craft their wines to the highest standards using grapes from exceptional vineyards. 
Ask for Decoy Cabernet Sauvignon, Pinot Noir, or Chardonnay, wherever you buy wine, or visit decoywines.com celebrate to find all of their wines near you. Getting paid up to two days early with direct deposit is another reason banking with Capital One is one of the easiest decisions in the history of decisions. Even easier than deciding to listen to another episode of your favorite podcast. And with no fees or minimums on checking and savings accounts, come on, is it even a decision? That's banking reimagined. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com slash bank. Capital One N.A. Member FDIC. From Wondery, I'm David Brown, and this is Business Wars. In this episode, the battle that's been brewing between the NFL and the USFL comes to a head. Donald Trump has bullied his way to the top of the USFL and pressured his league into suing the NFL for violating the Sherman Antitrust Act. And now the NFL is about to return fire. This is our series sixth and final episode, Football's Day in Court. The USFL's chief argument is that the NFL has pressured the major TV networks not to televise the USFL in the fall. The USFL also claims the NFL has meticulously dedicated itself to destroying the young league. In the middle of its 1985 spring season, the USFL announces it will move to fall in 1986, presumably after slaying the NFL in court. There are some hiccups in the transition. When the 1985 season comes to a close in July, the USFL experiences a massive upheaval. The first fall season they can play won't be until fall 1986, which means the league will be on hiatus for a year and a half. Several franchises shut their doors rather than move to the fall in a can't-win showdown against more established, more respected NFL organizations. The NFL's teams have more money, more marketing swag, far deeper roots in the communities. The Pittsburgh Maulers, for example, were a pimple compared to the mountainous Pittsburgh Steelers. So, goodbye Pittsburgh Maulers. Farewell Denver Gold. Other teams decide to merge. And because of the hiatus, the vast majority of USFL players are let out of their contracts. They bolt for the NFL. Before long, Herschel Walker is a Dallas Cowboy. Steve Young becomes a Tampa Bay Buccaneer. Jim Kelly signs on as a Buffalo Bill. The USFL is ridiculed across the media as a league that can't seem to set itself straight. Then, Roy Cohn, the infamous lawyer Trump hired to sue the NFL, is diagnosed HIV positive. Shortly before the trial start date, Trump replaces Cohn with Harvey Meyerson, a bombastic New York City attorney. Trump does this without consulting anyone again. 
USFL owner Jerry Argovitz confronts him. Donald, this is the wrong guy. Meyerson is a pounder and a grinder. He's obnoxious and unlikable. All I ever hear is how big of a jerk he is. The jury won't like him. He doesn't take any crap, and that's just what we need. No, Donald. No. We need nuance. We need intellect. You're wrong. We're going to win big. Argovitz meets Meyerson, and the attorney is everything he anticipates, and more so. Time magazine describes Meyerson as short, chunky, and menacingly combative. Argovitz agrees with their take. The USFL is paying Meyerson $1.4 million to convince a jury the new league is being wronged. Argovitz is worried. He confronts Trump again. How many of the players will we have testifying? None. None? They're the faces of this league, and they can speak directly to its struggles. No. No, that's not the way we're going about this. Well, how about the other owners? I know I can talk about the NFL trying to kill us. So can the other guys. Get them all up there. Let them... Believe me. I know how to win a lawsuit. We have the best attorney. We have the best facts. We're in my city. We can't lose. May 12th, 1986. Manhattan Federal Court, room 318. The USFL files nine charges against the NFL, including six violations of the Sherman Antitrust Act. They're asking for nearly $1.7 billion, plus punitive damages. The media is ready for the trial of the year. A scrum of reporters and photographers are outside the courtroom. Dozens of reporters jostle for a seat inside the courtroom, notebooks in hand. Sports and legal commentators say the USFL needs to depict the NFL as an elitist corporate monolith lacking empathy and depict the USFL as the little guy, a mom-and-pop business that stands for everything beautiful about America. Newscasters are quarterbacking before the judge even gavels the court to order. The NFL owners each made $14 million from television revenue last year. The USFL, less than $2 million. NFL teams average almost a $1 million in profit. USFL teams lose $3.5 million apiece. Meyerson takes, well, an entirely different approach. Over 42 days in court, the attorney calls on only three witnesses to testify. Star player Herschel Walker, the legendary sports announcer Howard Cosell, who will take the stand intoxicated, and Al Davis, owner of the Los Angeles Raiders and a man who abhors Roselle. Meyerson calls on only one USFL owner, Donald J. Trump. This wasn't the strategy USFL team owners anticipated. USFL officials and players are holed up in Manhattan hotel rooms thinking they'll be asked to take the stand. Jim Kelly, Houston Gamblers quarterback, waits and waits and waits. Nothing. Steve Earhart, the longtime league executive director, is deposed by the NFL for three days before the trial, yet Meyerson never uses him. Instead, Meyerson bases his entire strategy around the plight of one man, Donald Trump which is music to the ears of the NFL's lead attorney, Frank Rothman. His goal 
is to find a USFL figure to paint as the bad guy. And the USFL has cherry-picked one for him. Meyerson calls NFL Commissioner Roselle to the stand, and over the next five afternoons, the lawyer and the league head go back and forth interminably. And Meyerson's screaming and berating and barking darken the courtroom. Meyerson directs his questioning toward the secret meeting at the Pierre Hotel between Roselle and Trump. He fabricates the idea that the NFL desperately wanted Trump to have a team. Mr. Roselle, didn't you tell Mr. Trump you wish he had been able to buy the Baltimore Colts and hadn't gone into the USFL? No. You didn't? No. I have a hard time believing you, so I'll ask again. Didn't you tell Mr. Trump you wish he had been able to buy the Baltimore Colts and hadn't gone into the USFL? Absolutely not. Did you tell him that if he hadn't gone to the USFL, the USFL would have died? No. Never. Really? I assure you, I did not. Roselle explains that he is a thorough note-taker, and he would be happy to share his notes from those days with Meyerson in the court. The USFL's attorney says, Thanks, but no thanks. He then calls Trump to the stand to discuss the same meeting at the Pierre. Did the commissioner of the NFL offer you a place in the league? He did. Roselle told me I should be in the NFL, not the USFL. At some point, he said I would be in the NFL, and he told me a few times the USFL was not going to make it. As Trump speaks, Roselle, sitting less than 20 feet away, seethes. Trump was the one who reserved and paid for the Pierre suite. Trump was the one who offered to throw the USFL under the bus. Yet while the NFL commissioner is furious, the NFL's attorney, Frank Rothman, is borderline giddy. Trump isn't merely a courtroom villain. He's a straight-out-of-Hollywood villain. The $3,000 suits, the greased-back hair, the way he talks with his hands, the way he scowls when angry or frustrated. To Rothman, Donald Trump isn't Donald Trump. <laughs> no, he's Dr. Evil. Rothman gets a chance to question Roselle and paint Trump as a villain. Mr. Roselle, is Mr. Trump telling the truth? No, he is not. He said to me, I want an NFL expansion team in New York. And he said, and I'm quoting him exactly, quote, I would get some stiff to buy the New York Generals, my team in the USFL. Rothman's next move is to undermine the USFL's smoking gun, the 46-page document that spells out how to kill off the USFL. He has multiple NFL officials confirm under oath that no one ever took the document seriously. Asked why the league commissioned the report, Roselle blows it off, saying it was done at the request of a couple of rogue league employees looking for dirt. He insists commissioning the report was merely a lark. Why would we take the document seriously? The USFL was never that big of a threat until this lawsuit. After closing arguments, the jury heads off to decide the fate of two leagues. And it is not easy. As unlikable as the jury finds Trump and Meyerson to be, 
they can't overlook the NFL's monopoly on fall television. Over five days and 31 hours of private deliberation, the jury members go back and forth. The exchanges are often heated. The stress is immeasurable. One juror suffers from heart murmurs. Another has excruciating headaches. None of them believe Trump is telling the truth, but no one feels particular sympathy for the NFL either. As both sides wait for the verdict, Rothman tries to comfort Roselle. I think we should win. Damn it, Frank, I know that. But did we win? I just don't know, Pete. I, I just don't know. And with that, Pete Roselle is just another guy leaving court, wondering whether the football league he runs is about to be eternally crippled and possibly destroyed. Ready for a new ride but not sure where to start? Meet the tool that makes car shopping and financing easier. With Capital One Auto Navigator, you can find a car and get pre-qualified instantly. You'll get your real rate and monthly payment without even impacting your credit score. In fact, it's so simple you might feel like you're taking the easy way out. (laughs) That's because you are. Capital One. What's in your wallet? Terms and conditions apply. Find out more at CapitalOne.com slash Autonavigator. Open enrollment is here. While you're shopping around, don't forget to head over to JoinCrowdHealth.com slash fit to find out how CrowdHealth can save you 40 to 60% in health care costs each year. CrowdHealth isn't health insurance. It's a modern way to pay medical expenses. CrowdHealth is able to offer amazing prices because of its community of health-conscious members. And for a limited time, my listeners get their first month free. And after you've been a member, CrowdHealth will include a fitness wearable. Just go to joincrowdhealth.com fit, promo code BW. CrowdHealth is not health insurance. It's a community-powered alternative. Terms and conditions may apply. On July 29, 1986, at exactly 3.55 p.m., the court clerk announces that a verdict has been reached. The jury members step forward into the courtroom. They're tired and emotionally drained after five days of deliberation. Judge Peter Leisure settles into his chair, as anxious and curious as anyone else in the room. Order in the court. Is the jury ready to present the court with a decision? Yes, Your Honor, we are. The head juror hands a slip of paper to the judge, who stares down and clears his throat. On the first question, do you find that the NFL monopolized the business of professional football, yes or no? A hush in the room. The answer is yes. A good number of NFL owners and officials are in the room. Their collective groan is audible and pained. Were they really about to lose this thing? Was this actually happening? 27 similar questions follow, asking whether NFL franchises were beholden to the monopoly. 27 times? The answer is yes. The USFL's head lawyer, Harvey Meyerson, can barely contain his giddiness. He's suppressing a smile, pumping his fist, nodding toward Trump. 
Reporters dash from the room to an outside bank of payphones to report the news. The National Football League was just found to have violated antitrust law by monopolizing professional football. And radio and television reporters start broadcasting the United States Football League's huge win. The news travels fast. In a classroom at LaSalle University in Philadelphia, USFL quarterback Chuck Fusina is interrupted during a graduate school class. His professor has heard the news on a transistor radio during a break. He pulls Fusina aside. Chuck, you're not going to believe this, but you won. The USFL won the lawsuit. No. Yes, you won. I just heard. Fusina excuses himself and runs to a payphone and calls his wife, Jackie. Jackie, we won. Can you believe it? Um, uh, uh, did you hear the entirety of the ruling? The what? The jury is also required to award damages to the winner. The USFL is asking for nearly $7 billion, an astronomical figure that could change the course of history for the two leagues. The jurors considered this, but they also considered other factors. Namely, while the NFL is far from innocent, whose fault is the USFL's downward spiral? Who decided to move to fall? Who decided to start spending millions on players? Who decided to meet with Pete Rozelle and beg for a franchise? Who decided the best course of action was a lawsuit? Who started with a truly excellent idea, spring professional football, then corrupted it with greed and ego? This is the big moment for both sides, the money question. Leisure leans into the microphone to announce the NFL's financial punishment. The jury awards the United States Football League damages of one dollar. Yes, one dollar. Antitrust laws triple that to three dollars total. The NFL's lead attorney, Frank Rothman, lets out a howl of unbridled joy. The USFL's attorney, Harvey Meyerson, mouths the word, what? He's dumbfounded. And with that, the USFL is dead. Oh, there are unfulfilled promises of an appeal. There are empty guarantees of future seasons. The USFL will not go quietly into the night, will not fold quickly like other unsuccessful leagues of the past. Yet, deep down, the truth is undeniable. Deep down, people involved with the USFL know it's over. Within weeks, even the most devoted USFL players arrive in NFL training camps, hoping to get scooped up. Nearly 200 USFL players land on NFL rosters, and the big story in sports is bold-faced names in new places. It's weird seeing Arizona Outlaws quarterback Doug Williams in the burgundy and gold of the Washington Redskins. Odd seeing former Memphis showboat halfback Tim Spencer wearing a San Diego Charger lightning bolt. The NFL always presumed this day would come, but now that it's here, it's strange. Almost like Mr. Spock jumping from Star Trek to Star Wars. Four former USFL players, Reggie White, Steve Young, Jim Kelly, and Gary Zimmerman, 
are ultimately inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Dozens of USFL coaches go on to NFL success. Offensive schemes that began in the USFL are duplicated in the NFL. Rules initiated by the USFL, like the two-point conversion and the coach's challenge, become NFL staples. The league has made an impact. It's a league that matters. And yet, for many, the lasting image of the United States Football League is not of players on the field. No, the image that's burned in people's memories happens in the immediate aftermath of the jury's ruling. John Mara, the son of New York Giants owner Wellington Mara, turns to Donald Trump in the courtroom. Tough break, Donald. I'll be back. I believe you. But in the meantime, take this. John Mara reaches into his wallet and hands Donald Trump a $1 bill. He takes it. From Wondery, this is Business Wars. We hope you enjoyed this series, and we invite you to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You'll find a link on the episode notes. Just tap or swipe over the cover art. You'll also see some offers from our sponsors, and we hope you'll support our show by supporting them. If you like what you've heard, we would love it if you could give us a five-star rating and tell your friends how to subscribe. You can also answer a short survey at wondery.com survey. That helps us out, too. Tell us what business war stories you'd like to hear. A quick note about the conversations you've been hearing. We can't know exactly what was said, but this dialogue is based on our best research. I'm your host, David Brown. Jeff Perlman wrote this story. He's the author of Football for a Buck, The Crazy Rise and Crazier Demise of the USFL. Karen Lowe is our senior producer and editor. Emily Frost edited this story. Our editor and producer is Jenny Lauer Beckman, sound designed by Bay Area Sound. Our executive producer is Marshall Louie, created by Hernan Lopez for Wondery. Grown-ups, it's Guy Raz and Mindy here from Wow in the World. As you may have heard, kids over the age of five are now eligible to receive the COVID-19 vaccine. And for some kids, that news is a big relief. But for others, that news brings a lot of anxiety and questions. Questions like, will it hurt? What's going to happen? And will it give me a tail? We'll answer a lot of your questions in our new episode of Wow in the World. And spoiler alert, Mindy... The vaccine does not give you a tail. Oh, man! Join us as we learn about the science behind the COVID-19 vaccine and encourage our friend to overcome his fear of shots to get vaccinated, too. Because while we know that shots can be scary, we also know that science is amazing. Listen to this special episode of Wow in the World wherever you get your podcasts November 22nd right now on Amazon Music or ad-free when you subscribe to Wondery Plus Kids through Apple Podcasts.